Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Good morning, I'm Nando Cesarone, President of Operations here at UPS, and welcome to the Inspirational Leadership Series, and I'm going to hand it over to Jonathan. Thank you very much indeed, Nando. Nando, it's great to have you on the series. Brian J. Esposito, who was uh, on the series earlier, uh, thoroughly recommended you as an inspiring leader, and having looked at your 31 years and eight months at UPS, boy, you've done some, some great roles. So lovely having you in the series. Thank you for making time in a, a busy schedule. Perhaps if you'd begin by telling us the role you're doing at the moment in UPS and some of the things you've done in your life that have brought you up to this moment and given you the kind of experiences that allow you to lead the way you're leading. Sure. And, um, you know, I, first off, uh, just a brief description of, of what I currently do. Um, I run the total U.S. operations here at UPS, including our airline. Uh, so there's no moment where we're just resting idle. Uh, we've got aircraft in the sky and uh, trucks on the street and people working hard throughout our uh, facilities uh, each and every day, delivering great service to our customers. Um, and that's not all. So uh, we do quite a bit for the communities um, in, in terms of giving back and making sure that our teams are really integrated into the communities we serve. Uh, so you'll always see UPS on the landscape here in the UP, uh, UPS. Um, you know, coming up to this point, I spent a lot of time actually working uh, in different places around the world. And I'll go back to where I first started, which is Toronto, Canada. All right. And uh, where I sit today is kind of the fairy tale of, of UPS. Uh, we are uh, really engaged in making sure that we always look for opportunities within for our people. So promotion from within is one of our uh, key attributes as a company. And uh, we have thousands of UPSers that started loading trucks, unloading trucks, delivering packages, serving our customers uh, day in and day out. And we're given opportunities throughout this company um, because it really is a vast company. You can have many careers throughout this company and uh, in many different places. So as long as you're agile enough and interested uh, to do all those things, uh, you know, there's uh, there's tons of opportunity. Yeah. So started in Toronto, Canada, we were a uh, very small company. Uh, we had just uh, expanded from the U.S., one of the first international expansions into Canada. And uh, we have built up a, a great organization there and great. spent a lot of time building up that team. Yeah. And, and in your life, before you started in Canada, uh, what about parents and upbringing, grandparents, teachers? Who did you find was quite influential in shaping you as a leader? Sure. So, look, um, you know, it, it would sound like the, uh, the typical answer, but my dad was uh, uh, the one that shaped me. I would see him um, sometimes. So in the morning, he would be gone for work. And at night, uh, I'd be asleep before he got home. And so the work ethic around the house, um, you know, as an example, uh, you know, my dad was a pretty hard worker, determined uh, individual who was from Italy or originally, came over to Canada and started a life for his family. So I think that's one. 
uh, two, you know, growing up actually had uh, a pretty, uh, um, you know, material experience at 15. So I developed thyroid cancer. Wow. And uh, that'll wake anybody up. Although at 15, you don't think that that's actually going to impact you at all. Uh, because, you know, you can you can pretty much uh, take on anything. Um, but it does put into perspective that uh, life is pretty fragile mm. and that human beings, especially at this company, uh, 540,000 of them have their challenges outside of work, too, uh, that we need to be mindful of. And so uh, that just shaped a few of uh, the things that are, are how I look at kind of managing people and managing my own uh, life, uh, and making sure that work and life kind of work together, uh, yeah. and make it uh, as comfortable as possible. Yeah, and and I love the fact that UPS loyalty is a very important thing, and longevity. I mean, you know, thirty-four years, a whole variety of roles. Maybe you could just touch on some of them. I, to list them all would take the whole podcast because you've done so much. Sure. But I remember when I did a piece of uh, coaching work with a part of UPS. They said, look, you know, uh, if you believe in us um, and want to work with us, we'd like you to really genuinely believe in us. So so who provides, you know, who, who does your deliveries for you? And I go, this company. And they say, well, look, would you think about using us? And I go, yeah. And so I transferred and changed my business over and UPS were doing my deliveries. And it it worked. It worked really well. But there was that that, I don't know, authenticity and consistency of if we're going to work together, let's work together in every sense. And. So I just want to acknowledge that. I think it's rather special. It stood out for me. But um, what about some of the roles that you've done? Because you've done a lot before you became the, the president for the USA. Sure. So just on the, uh, the subject you were referring to, you know, my personal values align with the company values. And I think that makes a world of difference because, you know, you're investing in the company, the company is investing in you, and therefore it makes it a lot easier uh, to say, take on different assignments, even around the world. So um, again, started in Toronto, Canada. We built up a really great company, continues to grow to this day. Um, and uh, then was given the opportunity to move to Europe. So hmm. I spent three years uh, running for the first time, a real uh, top to bottom profit and loss uh, for the, a couple of countries, Switzerland, Austria, and, and Hungary. Um, and then was given another opportunity to actually join our M&A team looking at uh, some potential targets. And uh, from there, I was given more responsibility again in Europe. So this time based in uh, Belgium. Uh, but I had the uh, Eastern uh, Europe and uh, Southern Europe, which included, uh, you know, all the uh, Baltics the Mediterranean, Italy, etc. Um, and then from there, a great opportunity uh, to go over to Asia and uh, run South Asia, and from there, the entire Asia-Pacific uh, region. Uh, spent a great three years uh, living in Singapore. Mm -hmm. uh, I highly advise it. It's a really nice place to, to uh, raise children. And, uh, and then finally landed back in Europe, running the, uh, the Europe region for UPS. Oh, that's a great experience. And you touched on, you talked about families. Um, how important to you is family? And, and perhaps would you just share a bit about your family and how they've grown up and moved with you to Singapore and, and back, to the, back to the States? Sure. So I have uh, two boys, both grown now, so 22, 24. Um, and my, uh, my wife, actually, you know, if I was asked to do some of the things that I had asked her, I'm not sure I could. Hmm. Uh, so there is sacrifice uh, when you're moving your family around the world, for sure. 
but uh, you know, we moved, uh, I guess, a total of eight times, mm. and uh, it starts to become exciting. Also, uh, so you know, at first it was very difficult, uh, but as we moved forward, uh, you know, she got very comfortable. In fact, she would ask me, "When's the next move? Right? Where are we oh. going next?" You know, That's one good. great big adventure. And for the children, it's been just great. Uh, they've met people from all over the world. Uh, they're so adaptive, adaptive and so agile and understand that, you know, there's not just one way to live your life. Um, you know, there's a Canadian way, there's a U.S. way, but uh, there's many other ways to to actually live your life and uh, and enjoy it. Yeah. And we'll touch on that with a cultural intelligence question, this ability to get on with a whole range of different people. And it's so lovely that through your work, you gave both your wife, yourself and, and the two boys that chance and I, I was thinking of uh, General the Lord Dannett, who I was interviewing, and, and he talked about his time in the armed forces. And I've interviewed American uh, servicemen and officers as well. And, and it, it's almost a sense of duty and service to the organization. In, in one case, it's UPS and your customers. In the other case, it's to your country. But um, it, it, it is exciting. But at the same time, you expect a lot. One expects a lot from the family that follows the flag in this case, the UPS flag, uh, in other cases, an American or a British flag. Um, how hard do you think it is for, I mean, you, you clearly you had a very supportive wife, but for other people uh, of the 540,000 people who are in UPS, um, what do you pick up that people find the hardest thing with this moving the families around as they serve in different parts of the world? Well, certainly they're, they're leaving family behind. Mm. And so that uh, daily or weekly or monthly connectivity is, um, you know, really now going to be uh, accomplished through digital means. So you may be able to FaceTime uh, uh, and some other means, but it really is not the same as celebrating uh, unique holidays with people face to face and having a meal and a sit down together or just knowing what's going on day to day. You kind of lose that connectivity with your family and friends. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a great big sacrifice there that um, may not sink in exactly at, at the onset. But over time, I think, uh, you know, both myself and, and my wife started to feel a little bit disconnected from the rest of the family. So yeah. brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles. Yeah. And, and your sons are 22 and 24. My, uh, my wife and I have four children aged 26 to 29, and they've now got partners. And uh, in a couple of hours, my uh, my uh, son and his uh, fiance seem to be his wife will be arriving with our grandchild and then they've got another yeah. grandchild on the way. So so family is, as you say, so important. And I remember when I served in the army, I served in I lived in eight houses in eight years. It was just right. frequent moves. But I wonder for our children's generation, which the critics uh, unfairly call the snowflake generation, that are they prepared to look at someone like yourself and myself and go, I'm not sure I want to do all that moving. I want to have good experiences. I don't, I don't want to stay at a firm like UPS for 31 years. I want to keep moving on, having different experiences. Have you noticed that yet? But it is a general trend I'm seeing in many of the business. Have you seen that yet in UPS, that different uh, needs and different uh, expectations? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting um, interesting way to look at it. I mean, we we do see some, of course, but for the most part, if you're really working on improving an employee experience or challenging them with interesting work and uh, really representing um, 
you know, are working for a company that is not only good for business customers, et cetera, but also communities and making sure that that is all integrated. I think, um, you know, going to another company to, to, to get that out of another company because your current company is not giving it to you uh, is a mistake with the company that you're currently working for. You know, so we acknowledge that we, we, uh, we constantly are looking at what is the likelihood for employees to recommend us to others. And if they are, it says a lot about how happy they are about being uh, with UPS. And we try to bolster that with, uh, again, opportunities. Um, and not everybody's open to moving all over the world, right? <laughs> Much less all over the United States here. But, but when there is interest, uh, we want to challenge those folks as much as we can. And, and we give them different views of the business because we do run uh, a business in 220 countries and it's much different in each market. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And, and talking about happiness and, and, and uh, enjoyment in your role, looking back over your life, um, what, what's been a proudest moment? I'm sure there's been many, but what would you pick out as a proudest moment? And what's been a darkest, difficult moment? And what did you learn from each of those situations? Yeah, so, uh, you know, proudest moment, uh, of course, there's professional and, and personal life. Uh, personal life is, of course, uh, having the family that we have today. Uh, very proud of the, uh, my two boys and, uh, and my wife and what we've accomplished as a family unit. And, um, you know, from a work perspective, uh, I'm most proud of developing teams around the world. Um, you know, teams that were brand new to UPS. So I know we're 115 years old, but in some of these locations, we were just starting out. And so it was like you were, uh, you know, walking in the founder's shoes, if you will. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare myself to our founders, a brilliant man, but, but it was an opportunity to build a business from the ground up and build teams uh, around the world. And when you got to a place where you felt like, okay, this is working now, and uh, this company is going to take off in this market, it really is fulfilling. And uh, that just gives me a, a great sense of pride. Great. And what about a, a really dark and difficult moment? One that might be in your personal life, might have been work that you found really tough, but yet you learned something from it. What would be the story you'd share? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I talked about the, uh, the 15, when I was 15 year old incident, that was pretty dark. Uh, now it's darker than it is, than it was, say, back then, right? Because you don't realize uh, the impact. Um, and I often think about what my, you know, father or parents used to think about during that period of time. So I, I picture one of my sons in the same hospital bed. Mm. And uh, boy, that would just break my heart. Um, so that was a dark moment. You know, um, and there's, there hasn't been that many um, mm -hmm. in our lives. Um, that would be the one. As far as work related, there's always challenges, but there's nothing that we can't work through. Um, so as it relates to darkness at work, you know, it may be um, a business unit that's not running well. It may be a business unit where employees are not satisfied or, you know, have, uh, uh, have become negative uh, towards the organization for whatever reason. Um, there's always ways to solve those things. There's business matters where maybe the business isn't performing the way it should. Again, I think my role as a leader is actually to, to shape a response to those things. And I think in the middle of that, it's always wise to just remain calm, mm. uh, assess the situation, because when you don't, you kind of cloud judgment. But I think there's a solution for every dark cloud out there uh, in business. So uh, that's the way I run uh, my day to day. 
And I, I, I like that. And I think uh, I'm really sorry to hear about when you're 15 that you had that thyroid cancer. That must have been a real shocker. And who knows, perhaps that's given you an innate sense of perspective. Because with my service for 20 years in the military, uh, when I became managing director of a PLC and now coaching, advising CEOs and boards and teams around the world, I, I often ask the question, has anybody died? Uh, has anybody been killed? And if they haven't, let's put this in perspective. You know, a, a situation has happened. It's not the fact that you've had the situation. It's how you think about it and the actions that you take. So from that time when you had thyroid, I, I'd be curious if you want to share, but how did you get through it? Because sometimes it kills people. But you lived through it. And, 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 and has it affected your health at all since then? Um, so thanks for asking. So no, that uh, everything's been fine since. Of course, I go quarterly just to make sure everything's okay. Um, but, um, but, you know, at the time, you can't really appreciate it. So in that moment, and I remember it vividly, so I can remember those days. Um, you don't think anything bad is going to happen, right? You're 15. You're invincible. Um, but when I think about it now, there's tons of opportunity that something could have went wrong. And of course, I think about, um, you know, how other people may be going through those same experiences and how we should be, uh, understanding of those things that people are not machines. Mm -hmm. Uh, they want to work for your company, but they don't work, um, because they, you know, they should want to work there. You know, there should be a willingness to do great things for your company. And so you have to acknowledge that people aren't just, you know, a piece of the company, an asset. You know, you can't liken them to, say, a, a, a truck or a facility. Uh, these mm -hmm. are real human beings providing service. And so I think it's important uh, that you put that in perspective. And I learned about that. So, uh, you know, people are not machines. And they do have other uh, needs outside of work that need to be tended to, and there should be understanding there, of course. That's a really lovely segue into my next question, which I was going to ask you, which is like, you've got the two boys of 22 and 24, and many people listening to this around the world, they've got young children growing up. Knowing what you know now, after all these years of experiences of successes and you know, turning around teams and difficult situations and starting up new ones and mergers and acquisitions, what bit of advice would you give to the young Nando, the one who's perhaps was 16 to 20 years old, got over your thyroid cancer. And, and if you could travel back to the future in the, in the DeLorean car and step yeah. out and say, right, Hey Nando, this matters. Worry about that, but really don't worry about this. What bit of advice would you give to yourself, which would work for you, but it might actually apply for others as well. What would be your bit of advice? Sure. I, I would say, uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, look, I, I think um, at the time, it would also be listened to uh, wise people, right? People that have experienced a lot more than you have when you're 17, 18 or 20 years old. And uh, fortunately, you know, I started with this company, believe it or not, while I was attending school um, across the street from our facility that was uh, was opened up in Toronto. And um you know, I give credit to UPS too. I was just a kid at 18 working for a company. And, uh, you know, I learned quite a bit of how to be uh, a responsible adult uh, with UPS. Yeah. Uh, the fact that, you know, we cherish integrity, hard work ethic, partnership, uh, relationships. Um, 
And I also credit that for kind of helping uh, in, in raising my own children. You know, the, a lot of those attributes uh, are in line with your personal attributes. You don't know it maybe when you're a teenager just yeah. yet. Uh, but when it does get to that point, uh, I think there's a lot of shaping also by, by um, you know, the folks that I work with at UPS. Yeah. And, and if there was someone in UPS as you were growing up, a manager or a leader that you worked for who might be listening now in retirement, yeah. Uh, or they might still be in the organization. Who would you pick out as a person? You go, I learned a lot from them. You probably learned a lot from loads of people. But if there was one in your early years, you went, that was quite a role model to me. They had lovely values and they lived the UPS values. Who, who would you call out? Sure. So there's a, and I still reference him today with my groups. Um, his name is Glenn Rice. He uh, was an American that came up to Canada at a time where we were going through some dark times, let's say. Uh, because, you know, we were expanding and, and uh, growth is good, but it's also needs to be managed appropriately. Uh, but I just found that uh, his uh, calmness, leadership style, trusting and transparent, uh, how that just kind of generated this atmosphere where everybody could get around the table and solve any problems we had in front of us. Mm. Uh, so I hope he's listening. And if he's not, I'll send this to him so he can. But uh, he was definitely influential uh, in terms of how to shape leadership, what a good, great leader should should look like uh, in the face of adversity, too. So it's always a little simpler when things are going great. But when things are not going as planned, you know, that's when uh, a great leader really shows through. Yeah, I so, I so agree with that. And, and you've talked a number of times about the values. And uh, the next bit I want to do is go, go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, which our research over the last 30 years uh, has helped us look at what makes high-performing teams around the world. And it's these different quotients. And we begin with the, the moral compass one, the, the true north one uh, of the eight, which is moral quotients. So, so you've talked a lot about your personal values aligned with UPS's company values, which is why it's been so easy for you to stay for 31 years. If you were to pick out three values that really fundamental to you um, in your life, but they also happen to tie in with UPS. But which three would you pick? So first off, uh, integrity in everything mm -hmm. you do. So the way you manage and the way you lead your personal life, um, you should lead it with utmost integrity and be straightforward with um, every dealing with every person uh, and make sure that you're always being fully transparent um, with folks. Um, and then I would also look at you know, when I, when I think about leadership, I think about putting myself in the shoes of the people I'm asking to do the work of. And so I think it's important that you're realistic, that there is no uh, expectation of perfection in this business, especially this business that runs 24 hours and, and you know, has, um, you know, many, many human hands in the middle of delivering uh, service. Um, and then, of course, I think there's uh, a need to be innovative and be open to new ideas. I don't think you can continue uh, building a team if yeah. you're not willing to listen to ideas that are different from your own views, but also the views of the rest of the team. So it's important that people um, develop trust, if you will, to be able to bring those thoughts to the table. And then as a team, uh, work the best uh, solution. It might be totally different from what you do today, uh, but so important. And that trust factor is uh, kind of the glue that holds everything together. 
Very interesting. Uh, General Lord Dannett was saying two things that were really his top tips. One was character and the other one was integrity, which you've talked about. And he was rather harsh on our prime minister, uh, Boris, right. where he said, Boris has character. And, you know, his scrappy look and, you know, everybody's sort of warm to him because he's just, you know, easygoing and sort of bonhomie. But but the integrity bit do people. So so character will make people follow you. But trust will. How far will they follow you and how much will sure. they be committed to? Can they utterly trust everything you say? And, and when trust is gone, a leader should go. Uh, he didn't say that, but that's my own experience. So thank you for sharing those ones on on uh, integrity uh, putting yourself in other people's shoes and realistic expectations and, and innovative and open to ideas, which leads to trust. The next one round, the eight, is PQ, which is purpose quotient. What gives your life meaning and purpose? Why you do what you do? Uh, why you are still doing what you do now? What, what gives your life meaning and purpose, Nando? So um, I, I actually love what I do. So, you know, we, we uh, perform a miracle every evening. Uh, I don't think everybody thinks about it in that vein, but with precision you know, we're delivering 25 million packages around the world um, pretty much each night. Um, and we're sorting, you know, 45 or 50 million with precision. And that sounds great from a business point of view. And it looks great on a spreadsheet and, and it all makes sense in the end financially. Uh, but what we are delivering is uh, healthcare. Uh, we're keeping economies moving. Uh, we're helping countries in the world uh, to grow their economies and businesses, uh, especially small businesses that are in this internet age trying to uh, become larger businesses, um, not the traditional big business model. But we're assisting all of those uh, potential dreams, right, come true for a lot of people out there. Yeah, and then from a personal level, you know, just last year, we, um, we volunteered UPSers around the world 1 million hours. Um, which is no small feat uh, of volunteer work and, and giving back to the communities in which we serve. Um, and then I, I could talk about healthcare all day long, right? So we just went through, uh, or we're still going through, of course, uh, a vaccine distribution that'll continue. You know, we've delivered over 1 billion doses at 99% effective. We're actually uh, on a mission there, you know, to save lives. You know, we, uh, we feel like that's the um, a solution that's out there that we've been tasked to perform around the world. And uh, so things like that really drive a strong purpose and a strong will to do great things for the, for the company and our customers, of course. That's, that's great. And I hope and trust that if you've had COVID yourself, Nanda, you've recovered. Have you had COVID or have you been safe of it? Yeah, actually, uh, <clears throat> I had it in between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, I haven't stopped traveling because our business has been operating the entire time. And I visited hundreds of facilities, thousands of UPSers, and I was very careful. Of course, everything was fine. And then it took my seven-year-old niece uh, that visited from Canada here in Atlanta uh, to finally uh, end up with COVID. So it's okay. I'm uh, really sorry. Well, glad I was vaccinated and boosted and everything yeah. was just fine. Well, that was sensible. And for those who are listening on Apple or Spotify or other uh, podcasts to this and haven't seen the YouTube video which of, our, of our conversation today, they won't know that you look like some sort of uh, Superman figure with this perfect shaped torso. And, <laughs> and uh, so I've got to ask you, the next question is on health and well-being, mental health and physical health. How do you keep yourself in great shape? 
physically and uh, what's a tip you'd give to others mentally that, that works for you that others might listen to? Yeah. So look, physically, I am not the, uh, the example of good health. So I try, of course, uh, I have a treadmill at home. And when I travel, I try to uh, watch what I eat because uh, too much restaurant food can get you into trouble. And I also try to exercise. So, you know, I, I typically will do a little bit of uh, uh, treadmill. Uh, mentally, I think it's important that you give yourself a break once in a while. You know, there are times when we are so busy that uh, you don't shut down at all. And it's just work, work, work. And that has an impact uh, to individuals uh, in two ways. One, it's not good for you and for your health. Uh, two, it's not good for the company because you're not thinking about uh, future strategies or what you can do better uh, in the future as opposed to just surviving that particular day. So you really got to give your mind just a little bit of a break uh, each and every day. Yeah. And it's interesting. I want to recommend to you and the listeners uh, a lovely audiobook I've been listening to by the uh, American um, doctor, Dr. Cara Fitzgerald, and it's called Younger You. And, and she's just saying exactly what you're saying, Nando, that there are now certain foods they know which will um, slow down and, and help the difference between your biological age and your genetic age, uh, your, your, uh, your, your actual, you know, your physical year age, I think what they yeah. call that. Um, and, and so I, I'm actually adopting quite a lot of that, finding it's very, very helpful. Hence, you'll see me drinking a glass of beet juice uh, here, yes. which, is, which is very good. It's not blood, it's beet juice. <laughs> uh, and, and then the points you say about sleep, I, I'm wearing this aura ring as a, as a pitch for them. They're very good, uh, which records all my sleep and my recovery for the next day. And I do quite a lot of mindfulness uh, as well as this morning, working hard, doing some HIIT training, and then tomorrow I'll do yoga. So I think it is important, that whole thing, particularly when you're as busy as you are, and I'm very busy too, I find mixing this in. At the age of 60, I'm now probably in better shape than I was as an army officer at 22 because I didn't wow. know the importance yeah. of the kind of things we're learning about now from science. What, what's your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, I think that's uh, wonderful. I think actually I could fit a little bit of that into my own life. So if you want to send me those those books and those links, I'd appreciate it. You know, it's hard to, you have to actually force yourself to take care of yourself. Yes. Um, and uh, it's not always easy because you're consumed with the day-to-day, -day, but um, it's kind of a reverse um, effect, right? If you don't take care of yourself, it doesn't get any better and things actually just get worse and wear and tear on your own mind and your body. So, yeah. so it's important that you step back and, and do all the things to take care of yourself also. You're so right. And um, a, a couple of other books that I was reading, Food, WTF, Should I Eat?, which you can understand is what the hell should I eat, um, yeah. which is another uh, excellent book. I'll, I'll send these to you in a note to you Please. later on. I'd appreciate um, it. Yeah. But, but what the point that the, uh, the other doctor there was uh, Mark Hyman, Dr. Mark Hyman, who's excellent on food and nutrition. He said, look, 70% of Americans are obese now and probably the same in the UK. And by 2050, if that carries on, almost everybody's going to be obese. So, so it's not like leave it up to you. You know, you should do it yourself. We actually systemically, we need to do something about this because the, the food that we're having, the processed foods and the amount of sugar and uh, refined uh, sugar and flour that we're having, that is driving up this, this endemic, this that we've got, pandemic indeed, mm -hmm. of bad health. Um, and of course, the, the actual lifespan of people is now starting to drop in America and the UK because of this. 
Um, and it's exacerbated by the pandemic because more people who aren't looking after themselves and uh, their bodies in the way because they're eating all this processed food and sugar, they're the ones who are succumbing to dying from the pandemic. So something seriously needs to be done. It's a whole topic itself. Let's pause sure. from that and go on to the next one around the compass, which is EQ, emotional and social intelligence. With 540,000 employees around the world, you've really made it very clear. And it's been my experience with UPS. It's all about your people and the way your people interact with customers. And when I see a UPS wagon come up here, the way the guy chats to me and we've got to know each other. He's not just dumping a parcel on my front door. He's actually bringing something to me, which I might need for my business. It might be some nutrition for me, some supplements. And that connection is really important. So emotional intelligence for you and for your colleagues is very important. What would be your tip about something that you found over the years has helped develop a rapport and a connection with other people? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I still... Uh, I was a package car driver for UPS for four years, actually. I'm still in contact uh, with the drivers uh, to the left of me and to the right of me. You know, we, uh, we still um, talk to each other, uh, message each other. And I think what's important to realize is that you're no more important than anybody else. Um, 540,000 people are all trying to do the same thing for this company and for themselves. So they're trying to build a sustainable foundation for their families uh, be secure in uh, their daily lives and be able to do some great things uh, as a result for working um, with a company that, uh, that um, you know, um, compensates our people very fairly compared mm. to the rest in the industry. And then I also think about, um, again, I'll go back to putting yourself in the shoes of that individual. You know, it's always wrong to ask somebody to do something if you can't do it yourself. And so having the ability to walk the talk, if you will, uh, is very important, um, at least for me, in motivating those employees. Yeah, no, I, I love that one. And the next one is CQ, cultural intelligence quotient. You've talked about your travel around the world um, to some, some, some fascinating places, Belgium and Switzerland and then Singapore. And with 540,000 employees, you've got such a cross-section of people. So this whole area of cultural intelligence and, and understanding people who are different from you, the whole area of diversity, equality and inclusion, which is getting such, rightly so, such a high priority these days uh, alongside health and well-being. What would you say is so important for you, a tip about having good cultural intelligence and, and recognizing people who are diverse and different from you? Sure. So... First off, traveling to those uh, different countries and also, you know, living in a few of them uh, presents a challenge. Uh, but uh, I think the best way to handle that challenge is to listen and appreciate everything uh, culturally that, um, you know, the folks in those particular uh, countries and, and cities, how they live their lives. And I think it's always you got to be very careful that you don't go in as the in this case, the Canadian or the American and impose your own views about how things are done at work. Um, the best piece of advice I could give is just listen and understand what's important um, and then support. Mm. As far as a company uh, uh, goes, um, you know, I think this is a very powerful lever uh, in relation to making sure there's diversity across the organization, diversity of thought, uh, understanding that different viewpoints come from different places and uh, when you gel all that together, you are building 
a really, really great uh, organization. And uh, we don't, we don't, um, we don't just talk about it. We actually do it, right? So our board, uh, if you take a look, is uh, one of the most diverse boards. Our executive leadership team here, which I'm a part of, uh, very diverse. Uh, and then as you go down and cascade in the different hierarchies across uh, UPS, uh, you'll see the same. And that's done purposely. Uh, and that's really done to make sure that we get the best of everything. Yeah. Um, and, and it really does work for, uh, for a company like UPS, but other companies as well. No, it, it's, it's very important. And of course, uh, historically, people like the English and sometimes, sadly, the Americans and the Canadians, not Canadians so much, but more English than the Americans, were always the ones who, do you speak English? And, yes. you know, and I, in America, we do it this way. And, and of course, now there's a lot more sophistication in, thank God, in the English and the Americans who are traveling around the world to understand somebody else's culture and how things are done in China, which are very different, whether it's the, the, in a community rather than the, the cult of the individual succeeding. Uh, and, sure. and so it, it's a skill in itself, which really until the day we die, we never stop learning about difference and respecting that. And, and my Harvard professor, when I was uh, on a course at Harvard, uh, Donna Hicks did a lovely uh, book on dignity and she's got her 10 rules about dignity, how you treat people with dignity, but uh, 10 violations of dignity, which if you want, I'll, I'll send those to you. Um, it's, it's quite interesting, very, uh, very simple, but, but I think probably would resonate for you. So uh, that's something I'd recommend as well. And you know, Jonathan, I uh, actually got a taste of that when we were opening up operations in Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, it was uh, a lot of Americans because the company was was founded here and starting operations in Canada was a, a huge team of Americans that came up and there were differences, of course. Uh, and if you can imagine in the 70s, it was, you know, it is this way. Right. And and so um, so I, I was on the um, tail end of the expansion, but you could see that there was that behavior that you described. Right. And yeah. And that just doesn't work because, you know, Canadians don't see themselves as Americans and vice versa. And they've yeah. got a unique personality. So, so pretty interesting stuff. And that goes on all over the world, of course. And that's one lesson you probably uh, should pay attention to and not take with you when you're working in different countries. Oh, it's so true. And, and you made me smile there, uh, Nando, because uh, one time when I was chief of staff of the Army's largest brigade, I was learning a lot from it. We had to, to set up an exercise in Australia. And we were trying to help the Australians prevent the East Timor massacre. And remember, there were militias who were killing and murdering and raping people. And um, so the Americans sent a, a brigade quarters. The British sent a brigade quarters. The, the, the Canadians did. I'll come back to that in a minute. New Zealand sent their brigade. So they had a brigade. And we all came together. We did some war gaming, uh, bringing our experience of Bosnia and Northern Ireland. And things like that. I had a very good team of high quality leaders who I learned much more from. I was just the chief of staff with the brigade commander. But the Canadian team was the French Canadians who were very proud of being very different. So, so in their particular case, they, they were sometimes used to be saying, are you Americans? And they go, no, we're Canadians, <laughs> we're French Canadians. And, right. and of course you could tell often that, that they were not Americans, but my Canadian friends always keep going, no, I am from Canada. I'm not from America. Uh, but it never kind of happens the other way around that people go, are you from Canada? No, I'm from America. But, it, <laughs> but what was interesting was it was so wonderful having that melding pot of all those different nationalities, helping each other 
to help the Australians be ready to go in on this UN operation. And they did a great job because um, yes. everybody was willing to help them pass over knowledge and skills and exercise with them. And the Canadians prevented the massacre. And um, I suppose that's why I went to the palace to meet the queen and get my, my MBE. But it, it was yeah. a very, very special time, uh, which talks about tough times. Resilience, RQ, um, resilience creation. You, you've had some good times and some bad times. You've had some tough teams you've had to set up. Uh, things have never kind of worked out always as you hoped. <clears throat> and I think that's part of the, the health problem for many people is this is how things are. This is how they want them to be. And they can't come to terms with the fact that this is not this and, and uh, actually accepting how things are, trying to change it by all means, is often the problem for people's mental health. But how have you picked yourself up in times of adversity uh, and what gives you resilience to get through those tough times you faced and you will face? So, look, I, I think with any um, with any challenge, you try to articulate the end state as best you can and then. Um, you know, build a path towards it that is realistic and that allows you to uh, manage the business, uh, not with chaos, but with a clear view that you can then articulate with the rest of the team members, right down to, um, you know, that frontline employee. And the better you do at that, I think the better off you'll be because there's then a clear mission. And look, not everyone's going to agree with the mission, but um, that is the direction. And so, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of an explanation that's required for everybody to understand why you're doing it. Because mm. um, not everybody's going to follow at will. But in those times, you really just have to remain calm, uh, composed, make sure you can articulate what we're trying to accomplish. And communication, I think, is most important. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, if you're in a leadership position, um, everybody's watching you. So how you behave, how you manage, how you articulate, you know, that that end state is of utmost importance. Even if you don't think that uh, people are watching, they certainly are. And it's important that you always uh, are being transparent and forthcoming in what you're trying to accomplish with uh, with the team and with the business. Yeah, that's very good. And and the words you use for me resonates very strongly with my friends, friends from um uh, West Point, and, and I was an instructor at the Military Academy at Sandhurst, uh, and, and we talked about maneuver warfare uh, and the end state. So it's a very much a sort of military term that you talked about, and mission, and uh, being quite clear on the why. You know, anybody can cope with a how and a what if they know the why. Right. And, and so I just wondered, uh, have you ever sort of read much around sort of the, the military approach to business and operations? Because it sounds as if it's almost embedded in your psyche, in your culture. Is there, a, is there a military connection anywhere? No military connection, but we used to refer to ourselves as the Brown Army. Uh, yeah. You know, we were a little bit more regimented, let's say, in the early days of, of UPS. But, but um, I think, um, you know, there has to be order. There has to be. Uh, a process or processes that make sense to people that are executable, that are realistic. And there has to be uh, the what's in it for, for them, right? So what's the with them for people? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, um, it's that end state or what you're trying to accomplish must be articulated in such a way that everybody has firm belief uh, that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And as long as that's the case and you can then work on, of course, like you said, all of the hows and, um, you know, that kind of becomes easier to do if 
if everybody's working towards that end state. Yeah, and it's, it's lovely you mentioned WIFM. And I just want to pick up on that because it's a favorite term for me. The W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? Or yeah. WIFI, what's in it for you? Uh, but there's the other side of it, which whammy, what's against my interests? And always yes. I find when you've got a, a situation and you've got stakeholders involved, you know, how do we get them to increase growth by 50%? And, and I go through all the stakeholders in the, on that page. What's in it for me, for that person? What's against their interest? What's in it for him? What's against his interest? What's in it for her and against her interest? And it's always quite interesting looking at both sides of the equation and therefore how you need to roll the boulder a bit more to make it that it's acceptable to them. Um, brand is the next area, brand quotient. Um, a number of the CEOs and leaders I work with, the most profound moment for them is when I get 20 other leaders to complete a 360 inspiring leadership survey on them um, and with comments, but also do phone interview with about 10 to 12 of uh, the key leaders in their life who've also done the survey. And, and those two things, that subjective and objective reports, give them really profound insights. They think they know themselves well, but until they get that fed back to them, some of them have a sulk. Some of them are not happy right. with what they hear. It doesn't fit with their image of themselves. They are wrong. Uh, yeah. No, it's their perception. But what have you done to do your own version of 360 with an independent person uh, giving you feedback? And what have you learned from that? Were there a couple of things you'd be prepared to share uh, in the sense of openness and vulnerability where you go, I could do better at this and I'm working on that right now from my 360? Yeah, I uh, so... so for me, I'm constantly looking for feedback uh, from my direct reports, of course. Um, and then of course, from the entire employee uh, work group. So we constantly um, are surveying to see how we're doing as a management team. Uh, externally, uh, I do have a, a coach and, uh, you know, I, I actually uh, support that because the coach has a very objective view, right? It's not UPS yeah. or, uh, you know, UPS is not kind of um, uh, not, manipulating is a better term, but say influencing how that person is coaching you. This is just a person from another company and it's their job to tell you the truth. Um, and so um, that has been very helpful. I actually enjoy the conversations because there are blind spots as much as you think, you know, yourself, there are blind spots that you may not know. And of course, uh, that coach, if they're really good at what they do, are able to put that in front of you. And then, of course, you can address it uh, in a way that is uh, helpful for you as a, as a leader. So, uh, so yeah, I actually uh, su subscribe to uh, coaches. I, I am very proud. Of, I have my own coach as well. And uh, we, uh, you know, if you don't think it's good for other people, why, why don't you have one yourself, you know? Right. Um, and, and I'm always learning from my coach who just what challenged me a bit of, of they support me, they challenge me and they inspire me to, to raise my game. So I really am delighted to hear you've got that uh, and particularly learning about our blind spots. The final of the eight areas before we go into executive teams and a book and then the top tip is uh, legacy. Uh, what would you like, you know, sadly, the moment will come. The only certainty we have, Nando, is to know that you and I are both going to die. And sadly, my brother David died a few months ago. I never saw it coming. Sorry to hear only... that, Jonathan. Well, thank you. He, he was only three years older than me and just suddenly diagnosed with cancer. And 10 weeks later, he was dead. 
and uh, he, he died at home, uh, palliative care, but it was, it was only going one way. And, and it's made me realize just how, um, how fleeting our lives are and that it is gonna end in one way. So it, knowing that you will die at some stage, Nando, what would you like your legacy to be from your professional life? And what would you like people to say about you in your personal life? Yeah, so, you know, in, um, in my professional life, I, I'd really like um, the, the legacy left behind is that I left the company in a better place than it was originally and with better people. So I hope to build people up that are much smarter than myself, that are uh, much better at what I do day in and day out. And so um, I look at that and, um, and that drives me to make sure that I'm teaching, that I'm coaching, that I'm giving people the environment to learn and become better executives uh, and better leaders. And the more I can do in that space, I think the better, and I hopefully will be remembered at work for, for doing just that, building those teams to, to allow this company to continue well into the future. You know, it's 115 years now, why not another hundred uh, and more? Um, and the only way that happens is with great leadership and good people. Yeah. From a personal level, um, look, I just want to be a hero to, uh, to my children. And, um, you know, I try each day to make sure that um, I teach them the things that I learned that are helpful. Of course, uh, in, when they were a little younger, they also could have looked back and thought, maybe I should listen to the wise person, you know. <laughs> uh, but, um, but I hope uh, that's the way they see their dad. And, um, and uh, I do everything I can to make sure I set an example for, uh, for those two young men. That's, that's lovely. Thank you for that. Um, we're almost at the end, but this is um, quite an important area and you've done so much of this. Teams and executive teams in particular now at the level you're at, um, sometimes they're toxic and they need to be turned around and made healthy and high performing. Could be one member, it could be the culture, the way things were, it could have been your predecessor who allowed it to get uh, go rogue. What would be your bit of wisdom that you found worked to turn a team around when it's not as good as it should be? It might be toxic, but uh, what, what have you found um, as an action that's turned things around from your perspective that you, you would recommend to others? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's important that you assess the team initially, um, you know, when you, when you uh, take over that particular team. And make sure you've got the right uh, talent. Um, so you should assess the fact that uh, we've given those folks everything they need to be successful. So don't rush to judgment. But if you've created a great environment with all the right tools, and I go back to putting yourself in the shoes of that individual, and you feel like, yes, this is a, a good environment, a fair environment to be able to be successful, um, then it's about okay, who are the team members that aren't willing uh, to participate? And, and so you have to be quick to assess and then make uh, decisions on the team. And the best team on the field wins, right? Um, after all, this is a business and, and you are competing with a lot of uh, market dynamics, untraditional competitors, new competitors, old competitors, and the best team on the field wins. So it's, in, it's imperative that you make those judgments rather quickly but only after making sure everybody has had the tools, the training, the environment to be successful in. And I think 
when you take a team over like that, first things first, make sure the environment is right. Create the environment so people can win. Um, and then I think the cream rises to the top and you can see who's playing and, and who's not willing yeah. to participate. That's, that's a lovely way of putting it. Um, and then in your learning, all, all leaders are readers. Um, I mean, I'm dyslexic, so I listen to books. I think I've got uh, 200 I've listened to in the last three years. So I'm just, uh, just sponging it up and then hopefully sharing it with leaders like yourself and other CEOs and presidents. But uh, of the books that you've read in the last year or so, what's one that you found has been really good that you recommend to other uh, listeners to, to read? You found it really helpful. Yeah, so there's two and typically read when I, when I travel. Um, so there's uh, Simon Sinek. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've read any of his books, but two uh -huh. interesting ones because I was interested after the first read uh, was Leaders Eat Last, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. uh, I think it's important that um, you set the example for your folks and create an environment that's not always good for the leader, but good for the, the people on the team uh, that creates that, that strong team. And then uh, there's uh, The Infinite Game, which... Mm -hmm speaks to managing a business in two ways, quarter to quarter or with a long-term view. And of course, you have to have both in balance because you have other stakeholders that are interested in, you know, different ways on how a company performs. So, uh, you know, the investors would love every quarter to be great, but it's not always necessarily, um, you know, the decisions you make in that quarter that allow you maybe to be successful may not be good for the company long-term or the people in it. And so you have to balance that uh, equation out. And, and that book goes into uh, uh, nice detail and great examples on, you know, companies that have actually made the, uh, the wrong decisions in the past. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed both those. I, I would second uh, your choices there. Great. Now, no, thank you. So we're in the, the final stage. If for this piece, if you just introduce yourself again um, and where you work and just share your two minute top tip, your leadership top tip that you have found to be most profound for you. And we'll finish the recording there and then a chat at the end. But so Nando, over to you, would you introduce yourself again? Sure. So uh, I'm Nando Cesarone. I'm a US uh, president here at UPS operations. Uh, I also run our airline, which uh, uh, you know operates 24 uh, seven around the world. Um, I started with UPS 32 years ago in Toronto, Canada a small company that uh, we've grown up uh, into a great big company in, in Canada and being able to serve uh, that country. Uh, spent the majority of my career uh, actually overseas. So a lot of time in Europe, about um, 13 years in total. I uh, had cycled through Europe uh, three times, had an opportunity to work in uh, Asia Pacific for three years. And, um, and then here in the U.S. now it's been... Uh, I guess this is going on the fourth year. So um, that's what I've done. And uh, I could tell you that, you know, humble beginnings, right? So I started uh, out of school as an 18-year-old uh, loading package cars. And uh, those were for uh, drivers that were delivering their routes that day, anywhere from four to six of those routes each day. And I was studying at the time, which was uh, a challenge within itself because those shifts usually start at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. But um from there, uh, really just fell in love with the company culture, the people, the partnership, and had so many more experiences. I was a driver for the company. Um, I ran hubs, transportation networks, package centers, some industrial engineering in there. 
um, and then on and on and on throughout the career. So just uh, 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 many, many different careers in different places with uh, a very interesting company. Yeah. And what would be the top leadership tip that you'd give? This, this has served me well. And here's a tip to you. What would be your favorite tip? Yeah. So uh, my favorite tip is um, you cannot manage every idea within the company from one office. It really does require you to have and build a network of people that are much smarter than you. Um, and so I surround myself with great people. And those people are making decisions each and every day that impact the lives of many. Uh, and of course, the business results. That's brilliant. Yes, I love that. An army of giants. Surround yourself with an army of giants, people who are metaphorically two inches taller than you. Nando, sure. thank you very much indeed for bringing the Inspired Leadership Series. It was uh, a fabulous uh, story and experiences you shared, and we're very grateful to you. Thank you. Jonathan, thank you, and I uh, always appreciate just talking about uh, UPS and reminiscing about uh, you know, my career, and I learned a lot about you today, so thanks very much. Thank you very much. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you. <laughs>